1: Our bonds flashing a warning sign. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Gordon Johnson from GLJ Research joins us today. Hi, Gordon.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here. And once again, a lot to talk about, kicking off a new week. And we saw big moves in bond yields, the 10-year, the US 10-year yield climbing above 3.9%, highest level, I think since 2010. And we saw big moves in currencies. Uh, the pound, the British pound hitting a record low against the dollar, but the dollar really marching higher against almost everything. Once again, what do you make of this market action that we're seeing?
2: So I think it's important to remember in In 2020, right, when COVID hit, we were looking at a black hole. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And what the Fed effectively did um, in two months time, right? So if you look over the first 100 years of the Fed, their balance sheet grew by roughly $995 billion. In two months, they grew their balance sheet by $3 trillion at the onset of COVID. So they did 300 years of essentially money printing in two months, which was unprecedented. But what's most important is six, six months after the onset of COVID, retail sales had basically trended back. They had regained back above trend, which is a key indicator that the Fed should have stopped. And in fact, six months after the onset of COVID, we were 15% above trend. That, that quote unquote recession was the shortest recession I think we've ever seen. It was only a few months. So the Fed should have stopped, right? But they didn't. Not only did they not stop, this is just reckless what they were doing. But they vocally urged Congress to join in, excuse my French, the spending orgy. And as we know, Congress did that to the tone of several trillion dollars of stimulus and continues to do so. So what's happening now is we're having inflation the likes of which we haven't seen in 40 years, 8.3 percent CPI. Here's the problem. What's driving inflation now is not commodity prices or the things that are affected by the supply chain. It's services inflation. Services inflation at 6.1% annual growth is the highest we've seen since 1991. Services inflation is unaffected by commodity prices. It's unaffected by supply chain issues. And this is the scary inflation that keeps the Fed up at night. So people keep saying, hey, the Fed's going to break something. They already broke something. The only thing they have control of, the most important mandate they have, which is price stability, is broken. We have inflation. That is killing the average consumer. Only 17% of Americans own individual stocks, so the stock market is not the economy. So, what do I make of this? What the market is telling you is that the Fed is serious, and they're telling you that. Just today, Bostic said, "You know, the 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 the, um, uh, the jobs market's okay, um, and, and we need to be uh, c- continue along this path of tightening." If you look historically, every time in history, CPI inflation. Was above five percent until the Fed's funds rate went above CPI inflation. Inflation didn't stop; start to come down. Fed's fund rates around three percent. CPI is at eight point three. So, what's happening in the bond market? And, and people say the bond market's sw- smarter than the equity market. I'll leave that up to you guys to determine. Is the bond market is saying rates are going higher? You have to pay me more to own these bonds. One other thing, right? We're seeing currency wars. So, what's happening, right? Some of these other countries are selling their US FX reserves to support their currencies. That's also a tailwind to yields.
1: So, do you think where you think the economy is? So, the Fed's trying to basically, you know, make up for the policy mistake it already already did, and it's going to stay aggressive on rates. Where's the economy? I mean, is the economy as robust as they say it is, or are we already in a deep recession and the Fed now is sort of erring on the other side?
2: Yeah, no, I think the economy is as they say it is. I think the economy is doing well. Uh, We didn't see the earnings revisions, the negative earnings, a lot of bears thought we were going to see in Q2. I think Q3 is going to be slightly worse. But with the job market where it's at right now, with unemployment where it's at right now, I think the Fed is doing, I'm sorry, I think the economy is doing much better than a lot of the uh, quote-unquote bears. But more importantly, the bulls would have you believe. I think a lot of people on the bullish side, right, now that they're not making money easily, right, now that there's risk in, in stocks, which there's supposed to be risk in stocks, the Fed was not created as a lender of first resort. They were created as a lender of last resort. They were not created to make stocks riskless. Now that there's risk in stocks, everybody wants to blame Jerome Powell. But would you, again, would you have to consider only 17% of Americans own individual stocks. Stocks are not the economy. The economy is doing much better than the stock market. And those people calling for Powell to come in and save their gambles, if you will, and you know these these worthless um, uh, you know altcoins and these mem stocks that lose money that should be bankrupt. Um, I, I just don't think the Fed's going to do it. I think they're seriously focused on inflation, and I think they should be. Charlie Munger said. The only thing worse than nuclear war is inflation. And the levels of inflation we have right now are extremely concerning.
1: So where where do you think, those who are in the camp that we're already in recession, things are breaking already (laughs) uh, under the surface, and you're going to see this, the data lags, you're going to see this all start to come out in the data. Where are they wrong?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think they're wrong. And if you look at the employment data, um, I want to highlight three things, right? So there's, I'm looking at my notes here. If you guys don't, if you guys don't mind, look, the fed needs that the fed needs to get demand to come down. There's three key things that drive demand, loan growth, wage growth, and, um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, loan growth, wage growth, and how rich people are effectively. So if you look at, if you look at loan growth, While loan growth is coming down, it's still positive. So the Fed has a long way to go there. It's decelerating. The growth is decelerating, but still very positive. Wage growth, we're sitting at 6.7%, which is a historical high, which means they're not making progress there. And then if you look at household wealth, it peaked at 150 trillion earlier this year. It's fallen down to 143.7 trillion, but it's still extremely high. The point is they have a long way to go. With those three numbers where they're at, we are not in a recession. And there's a long way to go for them to destroy the demand so people stop buying stuff, right? You put, up, you, you put $6 trillion into the economy, you're going to get inflation. They need to take that money out. They need people to stop spending so prices come down. For them to get there, we're long ways away from there. Again, I think the people complaining that Jerome Powell is breaking something he already broke something, and that was price stability, which is the only thing that they're supposed to care about and why effectively the Fed was created. So these people are just you know, invested in stuff that they shouldn't be investing in, and now it's hard to make money. It's not so easy just to, you know, like this guy, Dave Portnoy, putting, picking, um, you know, uh, 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 what is it, scrabble pieces out of, a, out of a bag and just investing in the first four letters. You can't do that anymore. You have to, you have to actually do work, and I think that's why people are complaining.
1: So sour grapes. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so uh, Tobias uh, to on Twitter asking, what's your projection for the U.S. 10-year yield and dollar, You know, especially given the fact that you see an economy that can withstand high rates and a Fed that's not going to stop? Where do you see 10-year yields peaking out?
2: I, I don't know where they're going to peak out. That's a very hard question. But what I will say is, you know, the two-year yield is like, what is it, almost 4.5% right now? Um, that's a riskless return that is quite fantastic, if you ask me, versus what you're able to get at a bank or even in the stock market where you could actually clearly lose money. So I think, you know, the people that say there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines, first of all, I think a lot of the wealth that was created is with the 1%. They're not, you know, so that, that money's not going to be spent. But I think that there's going to be a lot of people that say, you know what, I don't want to be invested in this risky stock. It could be down twenty percent in a day. I can lose my money when I can get four and a half percent, you know, in in, in, a, in a two-year yield or even you know four percent right now, over four percent or close to four percent in the ten-year yield. Where does it peak out? Again, I don't know. But right now, CPI inflation is eight point three percent. If history repeats, the Fed needs to effectively read, raise the Fed fund rate funds rate above CPI inflation. So, if you assume CPI inflation comes down to roughly six percent next year. Fed fund rates going above six, that would mean the 10-year yields are uh, going above that level as well. So I think they're going higher, but I think 4.5 percent riskless U.S. treasuries, that's extremely attractive right now versus, you, know, being in this casino stock market.
1: Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision daily Briefing. So uh we have a qu- another question from Twitter which seems appropriate to ask now from Proudcrowd uh is now the time to dip a toe into the US bond market especially as a European investor. Um I I I, I mean we don't know do with we, well, a caveat of course is we don't know your risk tolerance we don't know your time horizon so it's always really tricky to to ask those questions but if we sort of talk more broadly Gordon let
2: me just say this right so right now forward earnings on the S&P 500 are sitting at about $235, right? Every year going back to 1970, any year CPI was above 5%. CPI inflation, it's right, 8.3 now, was above 5%. The average forward multiple in the S&P 500 was 12.2, right? You take 435 times 12.2, you're talking about an S&P 500 level around, you know, 2,900, right? We're not there. So, to the question. I can't answer that directly, but what I can say is if you assume CPI inflation is above 5% next year, right now it's 8.3. Um, uh, again, services inflation, which is a big piece of inflation, is trending significantly higher right now. It's aligned straight up, and that has nothing to do with commodities or, or supply chains. And if you look at the rent component of inflation, 30%, which lags, that's going to keep going higher. So if you assume CPI is above 5% next year, that would mean the S&P 500 has about 20 to 30% more downside. Would you rather be invested in stocks in that scenario or a riskless 4.5% annual return? I think the, uh, the, 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 your, your guests kind of know the answer to that, but that's just, I think, setting up uh, the question and the potential answer.
1: Wow. So do you think that that's a, a, a real probability that we could see that kind of downside on U.S. On US stocks, on the S P and p 500?
2: You saw what FedEx had to say, right, the other day. Um, I think that 235 number, those forward earnings on the S&P are going to come down more. I think there's going to be earnings cuts to to S&P numbers. So 235 times 12.2, you're talking about 2,900. But if that 235 is really 200, right, you're talking about an even lower number. So I think that is a realistic scenario. I think valuations are coming back into play. Look, if the Fed pivots, if the Fed ends QT, but it can't just end QT. They got to do QE, Right. If the Fed ends QT and does QE, quantitative easing, they end quantitative tightening, do quantitative easing, and/or they start to cut rates again, we're talking about a completely different ballgame. But as the field stands right now, I do think that's a realistic scenario.
1: It's interesting you say that they have to; they can't just end QT. They actually have to, if they pivot, they've got to pivot hard. You think they've got to? They've got to go right back to QE. Why not? Why not do nothing for a while?
2: Um. Again, because what they've done is reckless. Um, And, you know, us in the financial industry, we look at the stock market every day. We think everybody cares about the stock market. That's just not true across America. What the Fed has done um, is they have decimated the average American. And the Fed is not, again, not supposed to be a lender of first resort. They're supposed to be a lender of last resort. And they've acted recklessly and doing 300, Years of you know money printing in two months, and then continuing to do it for years, and calling inflation transitory when history showed that wasn't the case. We were arguing against that over a year and a half ago. Nobody cared then. Um, so they need to give a lifeboat to the average American. They need to fight inflation hand over fist, and they're telling you they're going to do that. So to say they just stop, I think that would be reckless. I think that that would cause a surge in the stock market a surge in credit, a surge in wealth, um, all the things that drive inflation. Um, So I think if they were to do that, um, we would be in big, big trouble. Again, people hurt more when you have inflation versus a falling stock market. Average people. I'm not talking about the rich who control everything in the country. I say that jokingly somewhat. But average people hurt a lot more when you have high inflation. They need to get this under control. They must get it under control.
1: Well, one of the things I love about this conversation is, um, you know, you're in a very different camp than some others, including Raul, who we did on Friday. And, you know, that's what we want. We, we want to hear all different points of view. Raul sat down with Jim Bianco, who's kind of in the middle of the two of you, I think, maybe on, on some on in some ways. Uh, we, he, they were the kickoff to our we're a make or break series that we're doing, a new series that's really talking about these big market drivers, inflation being one of them. Let's have a little listen to that clip.
0: To your earlier question about whether or not we could actually see a big dive of inflation, say, into 23, 24. Sure, if we break the economy bad enough, if we have a recession, you could definitely see that. Take a look at freight rates. Take a look at shipping container rates that are plunging right now. I think a lot of people are misreading that. They keep saying, well, see, that's the supply chain getting better. No, that's the global recession is what that is. You've got a plunge in, in container rates because- FedEx told you that the economies of the world are slowing down. Other than Japan, you've got this synchronized rate hike, and you've been really squeezing everything. And so you're seeing deflation come in in container rates. And I think that you might see that. You could definitely see that with the plunge of inflation. And then you're right. We then start to ease. We start to boost the economy. We get the echo afterwards, and we get the echo inflation. But bear in mind, what I'm talking about is I still think nine percent inflation might have been the high. um I think core might still sneak out a new high, maybe even this month, but not much higher than the six and a half percent peak that it had in March. But I'm more worried that if we were to settle out at three or four percent inflation, that that means then that interest rates have to you know settle out neutral is somewhere around three. It's no longer zero. And that is a big adjustment for financial markets.
1: And that full interview is available on our website. And so we've got Raul, who thinks a pivot is going to come, uh, that things are sort of falling apart quickly. and We're going to see it. We've got Jim who thinks that I think a, a recession is in the cards. That's what's going to break is the economy. There's going to be collateral damage. And even if inflation comes down, it maybe is going to stay more elevated. Gordon, where do you fit in? I get the feeling that you're, you're in a camp where you're still really worried about inflation.
2: I'm extremely worried. I mean, inflation has been what has brought down every great empire, um, even the Weimar Republic. You know, the rise of Hitler was preceded by inflation. Listen, I want to I highlight this very clearly. The Fed has done modern monetary theory. They've implemented this strategy since 1990, and it's been a disaster of Herculean proportions. You've had wealth inequality explode in the US, meaning the middle class is disappearing. There is no more American dream. You can't have a house and a car and a wife on minimum wage or a husband. Um, uh, and they've done this zero, this zero interest rate policy for so long that you don't have price discovery in the market. And you need that for the market to function. You need uh, rates to go back to a normal level that is not influenced by an aggressive Fed that is looking out for just the 1%. So all these people who are crying about things breaking, et cetera, I mean, they've already broken the middle class, the backbone of this country. So we need things to go back to normal. We need the Fed to step back and be a lender of last resort. So those people crying about their their altcoins or their, their, their stocks that have lost money every year in existence going down, Need to stop and think about the common man, and I think that's something important. And I think that the Fed is serious because they have to be. Because if this inflation rages even further out of control, you're talking about situations the likes of which I think most Americans can't even fathom. Think about Sri Lanka. Um, Think about all the protests going, going, going um, around across the world. So, you know, I think home prices need to fall. Risk assets need to be repriced, and I think the Fed needs to step back. And I think it's it's a necessary evil. Um, and in some cases, a necessary positive.
1: Can, can do, you, do you look at debt levels? I mean, that's the that, that's something that was on Ryle's mind on Friday that, you know, we live in such a highly indebted time that it's, it's going to be hard for them to keep rates high because no one will be able to service the debt. Is that something that you look at? Yeah, I mean,
2: this is a common this is a common argument made by, you know, people who are used to free money and easy money, uh, people who are used to not doing hard work, in my opinion, look. The higher interest rates will only affect new debt. It's not going to affect existing debt. That's one thing. And they'll also get paid for um, uh, the debt they issue. So I think this, 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 this scaremongering that higher interest rates are going to wreck our economy, that's just not been the case. I mean, there's been times historically where the feds had to be aggressive on interest rates. And yeah, we had a recession, but recessions are normal parts of every economic cycle. What's not normal? is, you know, kicking the can down the road as this Fed has done since 1990, um and not allowing the economic cycle to play out. That's not normal. Um so yeah, I think that, you know, you got to consider those those higher interest rates are only going to affect new debt issue. It's not going to affect ex- existing debt. So I think a lot of that fear is just scaremongering that is not supported by actual reality.
1: So I want to. We we uh, we have a question from Curious Sam about Tesla. I'll get to that in one second. We're trying to talk a little bit about where you do see opportunity, but I want to round out the, the sort of macro conversation with currencies because we do have some questions about the pound crashing um, amid the UK tax cut efforts. We saw you know record moves in that. We've seen the dollar strengthen against every uh, almost every currency. People are concerned about what's going on in currencies. What are you watching? And of course, what does it mean for corporate earnings?
2: I mean, so a lot of the companies uh, have become international, and I think there's going to be huge FX hits to a lot of companies. And we could talk about Tesla. I think they're going to have a huge FX hit this quarter. Um, and I don't think a lot of analysts have factored that into their models. You know, we, we, we're sell side analysts. My team, we cover a number of stocks. Um, so I think that's going to result in earnings disappointments. With respect to where FX is going, I'm no FX expert. It's one of the hardest markets to determine. But I think in general... Um, the U.S. is seen as, um, uh, you know, safer than a lot of other regions. And I think what the government in the U.K. Doing, is doing with respect to fiscal stimulus is extremely reckless. Um, you know, uh, they're doing things like we're seeing in California where you're, you're fighting inflation by giving people money. That's what causes inflation. You know, mm-hmm. you need to stop that. Um, so I think what they're doing is extremely reckless. And I think that the quote unquote bond vigilantes have woken up. Um, and, and they're starting to bet accordingly. Um, so you can't just keep printing money without severe consequences. Um, so with respect to currencies overall, I think a lot of people see the dollar as a safe haven. I don't know if that lasts given how aggressive um, the current administration is spending fiscally. Uh, but with the Fed fighting, I think that you know uh, maybe the dollar continues to be seen as uh, a safer of The currencies out there. Again, we don't. I I won't pretend pretend to be an expert there, but I think that's what's going on currently.
1: Yeah, and a lot of our a lot of our very smart viewers and members of our community have been pointing out the the real sort of you know interplay between currencies and geopolitics. So we are going to be diving deep into currencies. under the geopolitics part of our our new series because you know currencies (laughs) as as into as as a form of uh of politics these days and and weaponizing currencies and you know um it it is it is everywhere so it is something we're going to be taking a close look at uh on on tesla since we got a question about that you know you you uh, a lot of people know you for your views on tesla you think they're going to take an fx hit um is it um is is there trouble elsewhere, or do you see this entire sort of mega cap tech sector that was so in favor in trouble now in this kind of new normal that you describe with with higher interest rates and a Fed that's really singularly focused on, on price stability, on inflation? Yeah,
2: so Tesla is not a tech stock. This is a major misunderstanding. Ninety-five percent of their revenues come from selling cars. The other five percent come from an energy division that consistently puts up negative gross margins, which means they're burning money on the net income line. You said, is there problems beyond FX? Absolutely. Uh, Tesla's market share in China has plunged. Their sales in China are disappointing. You now have just a one week wait wait time for every single model in China for Tesla. That means their backlog is effectively gone. Um, They're now shipping cars from China to Taiwan which means you know, the demand in China is diminished. Um, and then you move to Europe where their market share has imploded. Looks like they're not going to have a record quarter there. Um, despite the fact, keep in mind, right? So we think Tesla is going to do around three hundred forty to 350,000 cars delivered in Q3. But, and that'll be a record quarter. But keep in mind, right? Their Shanghai facility was shut down for a full roughly month in Q2, which means 77,000 cars that were supposed to be sold in Q2 Shifted to Q3. So, whatever their number is in Q3, that includes 77,000 cars of backlog from Q2, which means on a real runway basis, if they do 350, that number is really 280, which means their growth has effecti- effectively stalled. It's not even stalled. They're now negative growth. Why is that important? Here's why Tesla is valued at the next, they're valued at the, a at, at valuation larger than the next 15 auto companies combined. Last year, they sold just 2% of the cars those companies sold. So for, their, for this company to grow into that valuation, for the valuation to make sense, they need to show tremendous growth every single quarter. So if their quarter stalls, that means this valuation is completely out of whack, which we believe, and the stock will come down. We think that's going to happen.
1: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So definitely, still a Tesla bear. You we talked earlier about the fact that you know a, a risk-free treasury yielding with a higher yield now looks attractive versus some equities that you think are vulnerable. Right. Are there any opportunities you're seeing in equities or any sector that you do like at this juncture?
2: Yes, we 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 really like the nuclear space, and it's very simple. Um, if you believe in climate change and you want distributed, base load, reliable power. Nuclear is the answer. And we've been saying this for over two years. We initiated Chemico at 14. I think we had a $32 price target. Stock went to roughly 40. It's come down a little bit today, I think. But nonetheless, um, when people, unfortunately, if people freeze this winter in Europe because they can't pay their electricity bills and or their electricity is cut off, people are going to demand change. And these politicians' virtue signaling failed energy policies of the West, right? The policies of shutting down coal, nat- natural gas, nuclear, that's distributed, reliable baseload power, replacing it with unreliable solar and wind, right? You can virtue signal all you want, but when people start to freeze in their houses, when people can't afford food because they can't pay their energy bills, they're going to vote you out. So I think that politicians are going to have to move to what makes sense. This isn't about not liking solar or not liking Tesla. It's about what makes sense. What is Affordable power that I can use all day that fights climate. The answer is nuclear. And people in the, for the people who say nuclear is dangerous, it's, safer, it's the safest form of electricity out there. So I think that the point is, I think this winter, as energy costs skyrocket, as people freeze to death potentially in their homes, I think that politicians are going to have to get serious about real answers. I think the answer is nuclear. We like the space. Another stock mm. we like, in the solar space. We think solar earnings are going to disappoint. We think this company's earnings potentially are going to disappoint, but we really like First Solar. Why? Because in the, in the Inflation Reduction Act, there's essentially incentives there that give them basically taxpayer money to pay for 17 cents of their cost, which is roughly 25 cents. Effectively, the taxpayer is going to subsidize their manufacturing in the US. Is it fair? No. But given that's the current setup, that's the current state of play, we like the stock. We think it goes higher. Um, you know, So those would be the plays we would make right now.
1: So interesting. So, uh, you know, we have the midterm elections coming up here in the U.S. You just mentioned, you know, one piece of legislation that's influencing um, at least your call on First Solar. Uh, Are you watching that? And do you expect any change in terms of, you know, what's happening fiscally here in the U.S.?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, a year ago, right, the the odds on were, you know, the Republicans were going to take both the House and the Senate. I think now, last time I checked, The odds are that the Democrats are likely to clearly likely to keep uh, the House and potentially likely to keep the Senate. I don't know what's going to happen. Politics is hard. I think that if the Republicans take over, I think that's going to be seen as bad for, um, uh, you know, for for EVs, for the solar industry, et cetera. And and they've said as much. And if they don't, I think it's going to be seen as good. It's a binomial outcome at this point. I don't know what's going to happen. But I think the way to play it is, you know, to, to to potentially play the stocks after the elections happen. Um if, if the the Democrats take a you know a lead where they can start to pass stuff without the Republicans, I think that'll be positive for solar and EVs at 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 the uh, at the margin and if they're G O P vice versa. I don't know what's what's gonna happen. It's just it's a coin toss right now.
1: Mm. So you know, before earlier when we were talking about, you know, prospects for recession and you said you thought the economy for all the talk of things breaking or being broken or falling out of bed, you thought the economy is in better shape than a lot of people were talking about. Do you eventually expect a recession? Is, ju- is this just a timing issue that you don't think we're there yet? Or do you think that the Fed might be able to nail a soft landing?
2: No, I think we're headed to recession. Let me, let me be clear. I think we're headed to recession. I just don't think we're there yet. Um, And again, I think a recession is necessary. The Fed has told you what they're trying to do. They are trying to destroy demand to bring prices down. And I think they're right to do that, as bad as it sounds, because we've had nearly two decades of them essentially giving stock bulls everything they want with a bow on top, wrapped every single day was Christmas for them. And it's now time to look out for the common man. So I do think a recession is necessary. Recessions are good for economic cycles. We have a ton of zombie companies that should go out of business, uh, which will bring rise to real companies, which will create real jobs and create real financial expansion. And I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing.
1: Would you expect to see defaults if we have those zombie companies out there? Because so far, we haven't really seen that being priced into the high yield market, have we? No,
2: we haven't. I, I do think you'll see some defaults, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that you know, unfortunately, that's just a part of the the process, but. I don't think it's the um, Armageddon that a lot of people make it out to be. I think it will be Armageddon for some very, very rich people. You know, the people who got very, very, very rich will just be very rich. But I think it'll be great for the common man. And that's who we should ultimately care about.
1: Gordon, fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for, you know, bringing another point of view into this conversation. We really appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: And thanks to all of you for joining and for the questions. Uh, Keep them coming. Make sure you hit the like button if you enjoyed the conversation. And also go to our website if you want to check out more about the new series we've been talking about, Make or Break, as well as a special offer. We're going to dive into geopolitics, China, energy, and inflation. And we're going to leave you with a, a little clip to give you a taste on all the great things we're working on. So thanks so much. Take care and good luck out there.